Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us to Around the Rotary podcast with me, J.P. Warren. And joining us today, I have Mike Tesseri, the uh, Chief Operating Officer of Iron Orchard uh, Operating. Um, hello, Mike. How are you today? I'm doing great, J.P. How are things uh, in your world this morning? Things are going. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, things are going. Um, so uh, let's, uh, let's kick this off. Why don't you give us a little background on yourself, kind of give a little uh, introduction on, uh, on you, where you've been, and uh, where you're at now. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, so I was uh, I was born and raised in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, second generation oil field to uh, Bob Cesari. Uh He started a company called Tesco, um, which uh, actually developed the top drive and uh, patented it. But uh, uh, grew up in Canada. Um, got out of got out of high school. Barely got out of high school. Crawled out of high school and uh, uh, decided I didn't want to be in the oil field at all because I'd, I'd been working in the oil field since I was eleven with my dad weekends and summers and all that stuff, and I just didn't want to do that. So I thought I'd go to community college and, uh, uh, take criminal justice studies. Um, criminal justice. And I, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I just, I was just messing around the whole time anyway. I really wasn't all that interested in it. And then found out how much, you know, how much hard, hard work policemen do. And it just, it just didn't sound like it was a fit for me. So I ended up going back to roughnecking up in uh, Northern Canada. Um, and then, uh, that started getting really old when it was minus 40 degrees outside and you're outside <laughs> pulling wet pipe and, you look down in the shack and there's the engineer and the company man all warm drinking whiskey. You're like, yeah, that, that, that's what I want to be doing. So uh, my dad kind of had a heart to heart with me, sat me down and said, look, you got an opportunity. Go down to go down to the States, go to college, take petroleum engineering. I said, all right, I'll give it a shot. And uh, when I got down, I got down, I got accepted into Montana Tech and Texas Tech. And I went to Montana Tech just because it was closer to Canada. Right. Um, in retrospect, I mean, I probably should have gone to Texas Tech, but Montana Tech was a great school too. Uh, but um I uh, went there for four years and just, I loved it. It was, a, it was completely different than high school. I, I crushed it in, in, uh, in Montana and I uh, just fell in love with petroleum engineering. Um, something I was already, you know, well-versed up into. I learned a lot more than just in the world outside of drilling, you know, this production reservoir and all that. And that, that, that was a lot of fun. So um, immediately after college, I went to work for Shell up in Northern Canada doing SAG-D, uh, steam assist gravity drive wells. And uh, uh, kind of saw how the country was changing up in Canada. Um, it was leaning more and more to kind of the socialist lifestyle. And uh, I, I could just see the, the writing on the wall. And I, I left in 2006 uh, to come down to work in, in, uh, in you, uh, Houston, you cut actually. Out there. I'm sorry, yeah, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. What year did you come down? You just kind of interrupted just because, uh, just to let everyone know, we are doing this remotely due to the stay-at-home quarantine. So apologies for the, <laughs> uh, the connection stuff. So what time did you, what, what year did you come down here? 2006. So I left in early, early 2006, came down to uh, Houston, worked for Tesco, uh, doing casing drilling, doing uh, some turnkey casing drilling work. Um, that turned into an opportunity with a company called Turnkey EMP, where they actually bought the rigs from Tesco and uh, drilled their own wells, but also turnkey drilled wells for other people at the same time. And it was a great opportunity because we were a small group. I was the only engineer. Uh, we brought some other guys on later on, but uh, you know, I got to taste completions, productions, re- regulatory uh, reserves, everything, all that kind of fun stuff, working with geologists and landmen. I got really kind of got a little more of a full idea of what the oil companies uh, like. So you get to wear many and, different uh, hats, a lot of exposure. Exactly. Yeah. And it was the best thing, you know, at the time I was probably complaining like, oh, you know, this is too much or I don't, I don't <laughs> like this part, I like this part. But I look back and I said, man, that's, that's one of the best times of my life. And, and uh, we had a great way and everything was going really good. And then it was 2007, 2008 and uh, $140 oil goes down to 32 
and uh, it was a public company. We ended up uh, having, unfortunately, having to close the doors on that company. But at this, at that time, before we did, uh, I got an opportunity to go work for Parker Drilling up in the Arctic, um, where uh, I started off as a, just a field engineer. Uh, we were building the world's largest land rig called the Liberty for BP. Uh, we started building it in, in um, Portland, I think it was, uh, on the river there. And uh, we uh, put it all together and put it on a barge and shipped it all the way up to the North Slope. And by the time we got it up to the slope, uh, I moved my way up, up to uh, field superintendent and, and then superintendent of the project for a Parker side working for BP. And, uh, you know, putting together that massive beast up in the middle of the Arctic Circle, uh, it was it was a challenge. It was a lot of fun. Um, sorry, the telemarketer called me. Um, but... Uh, it was uh, it, it was it was a really good time, and then Macondo hit right when we had the thing up to about eighty percent commission, and uh, BP just pumped the brakes and said, you know, we just can't we can't take any more risks um, right. up north, especially up in the Arctic. You know, what if what if we had a problem up in the Arctic? What if we had a blowout? And it's like you could see this the writing on the wall that the project was coming to a close. I mean, the U.S. government was extorting BP for twenty billion dollars. It was like, well, something we got to do something different. So at the time, oil was starting to climb. It was two thousand eleven. Mm-hmm. Oxy gave me a call. Um, uh, I joined on with them as a senior drilling engineer. Uh, for now, the how did Oxy give you a call? Were you looking or, I mean, how did that uh, transpire? Um, you know, I'll be honest, the, and maybe this is a plug for a rig zone, but I've, I've gotten like three or like three jobs off of rig zone. And I, I just didn't take down my profile, I guess, from really? uh, Parker days and somebody called me. Yeah, it was like 2011. Things were ramping up. I mean, things were getting going and things were crazy then. And uh, I remember I came on as a field and I came on as a senior drilling engineer and within I think it was less than two years I'd moved up to drilling manager just because Oxy was expanding so fast. I mean, they went, right. I mean, they were just blowing up and they were a great company to work for, man. They were, I can't say enough good things about Oxy. They've always taken care of their people. They took care of me, um, opened me up to a lot of other opportunities. And, uh, you know, I was just, I've, I've had a blast. And um, at the same time, you know, I met Sky, my wife, and uh, uh, we'd gotten pregnant with our, with our daughter and uh, oil was $110 a barrel. And I said to her, you know, uh, I, I got a call from guys, a uh, private equity group. Uh, asking if I wanted to go to work with them. And I said, yeah, it's, it's a perfect time. You know, I got a baby coming. It's uh, Everything's looking perfect. I'm going to quit my job and take a second mortgage on the house to join in on this private equity team. So right. uh, she, she was pissed. <laughs> she was so <laughs> mad at me. I mean, everything was great at Oxy, right? Everything at the highlight of my career. And uh, went and joined the guys over at QSTAR, uh, a real small team of just some of the best technical minds I've ever had the pleasure of working with. And I still work with some of them today. Um and uh, we, we started off there looking at East Texas assets. I, I came on as their uh, kind of their drilling director and moved more into an operations manager than VP of operations role. But, uh, you know, we started looking at had some assets in East Texas. And then we quickly transitioned to the Midland Basin um, right at when oil took a tank, like $26 a barrel that November 2015, I think it was. And um, got that's 20- when we got in. God. Yeah, that's right. I did. Yeah. Like Black Friday, I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. yeah. Right after Thanksgiving. And, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. So. Uh, so we moved over there and we started looking at assets and, you know, our, our, our backers kind of thought we were crazy, uh, but they let us move forward. And we started picking up some assets over there and, and we grew the position up to 40,000 acres uh, over the next year. I think we did like 18 acquisitions in like 12 months or something like that. Just wow. kudos to the team, just moving, moving at a record pace. Um, and we had a great, great, um, our, our bosses were fantastic work for, they taught us a lot. They expected a lot, but, 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 but we were able to rise to the challenge and, you know, as oil prices started to kind of creep up to the 30s and 40s, there was a lot more interest in the in the Permian Basin. Um, and uh, uh, SN, we had we put up our put it out for um, for sale or for just wanted to test the market. Actually, Jeffries came to us and asked if we want to test the market, and we did, and it, it turned out great. And we sold to uh, sold to SM for for uh, a great price. Uh, and 
we were able to exit the position. And then we started up QSTAR 2 again with NCAP and uh, uh, had an even bigger commitment with them. And, you know, the, the, uh, the idea was to go elephant hunting, go get something real big. And I think at that time, the market just kind of started to turn for private equity. It just wasn't, it just wasn't the same. And uh, I think we could see the writing on the wall and we just said, okay, maybe, maybe now's not the time. So after a couple of years, and we, I, we must've looked at 150 deals and they just, we just couldn't find something that would fit that fit the money. So right. uh, we just said, you know, let's, let's wait till next time guys shook hands and said, uh, great job on the first one. And if the market comes back around, we'll, uh, we'll try it again. So, and I just don't think the market's there right now. This, this is all my opinion. Of course, I just don't think the market's there for private equity right now. It's just, uh, it, just nobody's paying for the, paying the same prices for acreage and nobody's paying for, um, for locations anymore, at least in the Permian. So, um, so we had, you know, we were, Cody and I, Cody, Cody Rodriguez, he was a Q star and we were kind of kicking around to, uh, trying to think about maybe do we get back into private equity, talk to a few firms that really didn't work out. And we and so somebody gave us a call about operating some wells for them over there, uh, the old Austin chalk field. I said, yeah, okay, we'll take a look at it. <clears throat> Pardon me. And you know, it was, uh, we just started kind of operating and said, man, this is, this is kind of fun, you know, because Cody and I were actually kind of the operations arm of QSTAR. Right. Um, and it just, this is just fun. This is stuff we like to do. And, you know, we would thank, thank God we had done well enough in QSTAR one that we could take some time off. And, uh, you know, we didn't have to go to work right away, but at the same time, Cody and I's personality, along with Tom Mahone, you know, we, we needed something to sink our teeth into. We had, we had to get to work and have something to do every day, at least not to drive our wives crazy. So, uh, we thought, hey, let's put together some operating company, go maybe get some assets and just start a little old company, you know, something simple, um, just buy old, flat, mature, flat decline production, nothing crazy, nothing, no drilling, no completions where it's going to require a lot of capital dollars. You know, I, I, I don't have $10 million lying around to go drill a wolf camp well, right? So we started doing that and getting more and more interest from people. And we just found ourselves in so many different ways. You know, we, we are, you know, we're, a, we're an oil and gas company um, that also contract operates and the way we set ourselves up is we can basically do anything that we want in any kind of shape or form whatever fits the deal matching the right capital with the right project um and it's 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 really allowed us to expand in all kinds of different arenas and you know we've had people come to us and say well have you guys thought about doing it like this and say yeah we can do that or we can do this or we can not do that and we can just structure things so many different ways there's, there's a thousand ways to skin a cat and this the way what we've set this company up it allows us to do that, and and, and which makes it good because we may, we can be good partners. We can help people solve problems, especially in this in this difficult time right now, where you know people are having to make hard decisions. So that's yeah. that's kind of what led us up to here. So it, it lets you to, uh, to adapt to certain uh, requirements, to certain requests that uh, that customers have. So kind of going into the current market now, you kind of leading into that. Uh, what are your thoughts on kind of the current market now, the short term, what's going to happen? And what do you see the future of uh, the, the U.S. oil and gas market? Man, it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, the guys at QSTAR, our bosses, Gerald and David, they always said, you know, every meeting we'd sit by, evaluate a deal and say, oh, hey, what if oil goes to 80 or what if oil is like, man, you're price takers, not price makers. So, you know, a lot of people say, what do you think oil is going to do? I said, man, just look at it for what it is today. Look at strip pricing and that's all you can do. You can't, can't do any more. So um, where, I, where I think it's at today is, the, and besides what's happening with Russia and Saudi there, we, we got really good at what we do. Right? right. I mean, up to 2008, you know, George Mitchell started introducing hydraulic drilling or hi, horizontal drilling, hydraulic fracturing. Right. And then all of a sudden we got really good at what we do. I mean, the technology just soared uh, through fracking. Right. I mean, we just got better and better and better and better. And all of a sudden, next thing you know, nine years later, here we are, we're the swing oil state. Right. I mean, you can literally give a man, you can, you can literally give a guy $10 million 
And in 60 days, maybe less, he can give you 1,600 barrels a day. Like even the big deals offshore can't do that anymore, right? Because right. there's no comparison. So we just got way too good at what we do. And we've, and we've we basically kind of pushed ourselves out. I really think the days of 50, 60, 70, $80 oil are not organically going to be there. Now, I say organically because, you know, there may be outside forces that could push us towards higher dollar oil. But um, I really think those days are done. I think I hate to say it. I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but this, you know, the oil could be the new coal. Uh, and we've said that before to some people, you right. know, like right now, coal is at maximum production, highest it's ever been. You know what I mean? And it's the prices are subdued because of, of, of the production levels that it's at. So, you know, this may be a new reality that the $20, $30 barrel of oil, maybe, you know, it, this could be the new the new way that because uh, the oil, the, the market says this, we need this much oil. And you guys, just because you guys can drill bigger, badder wells doesn't mean we need all that oil right now, right? So, so I, I could see this. I could see this hovering around this this for a while, and people, so how, companies are going to have to adapt or die. So how would a how would a company like, for, for example, Iron Orchard adapt to something like this? Like, well, luckily, what, I mean, we're luckily we we're already small enough as is, right? So we don't have a lot of overhead. We don't have a lot of undue processes and procedures. It's pretty easy for us to come in and just. Uh, buy an asset and then, then operate at a very low at a very low cost, right? So we just we don't have we don't have a lot of overhead like HSE departments, uh, supply chain departments, HR departments, you know. And those things you know, those things are good, but what you know, and I hate to say this, but I think there's a lot of companies out there that just got too top heavy. You know what I mean? Right. I think I think they let the uh, they let the processes and procedures from the big binders that they got on their on their on their bookshelves run the company. You know what I mean? And, you know, they kind of got away of what, what the bottom line is, is to, is to maximize sharehold, shareholder um, value, right? Um, so I think there's going to be, it's, I hate to say it, I just think it's, there's going to be some tough times ahead for certain people. And I, I hope to see the cream rise to the top and to the occasion. And um, I, I think you're going to see a lot of different structures now, especially with smaller companies where it kind of was back in the 80s. I remember my dad, we lived through the 80s and we were just dirt broke. But dad would make deals because he had a rig with an operator. Hey, you do this. I'll do that. Kind of, it was a lot more partnerships going on. Um, and they were tough times. They were really tough times. So there's two interesting points you brought up. The fact that the, the support functions driving companies now becoming so top heavy. And, and, and right, right there, that's a, lot of, uh, that's a lot of cost right there. So, Huge cost. So I do, I think it's interesting that, that your size is your strength. You know, your ability to, uh, to adapt to different things and uh, not having that overhead and uh, being able to work from work from a small office uh, will be a strength for Iron Orchard. Right. And, and right. yeah, exactly. And work to your strengths. Like one thing that we've always, Cody and I have always prouded ourselves on, myself especially, I did this at Oxy. Me and a couple of other guys like Bo Daniel with Altera at the time. Right. I just, I really, you know, instead of, you know, these companies, they hire all these, these experts, right? You know, I'm an expert at drill bits. I'm an expert at directional or I'm an expert at frack or this. Like, your service companies, are experts, right? These are the guys that built the stuff. They built the technology. They know what they're doing. Lean on your, lean on your service company, service providers, really go to them for the expertise. You don't need to hire a team of guys in your office to be experts at this stuff. It's good to know it. Don't get me wrong. You need to know it. It's important, but lean on, lean on the professionals that are already doing this stuff. I think, I think there's a, there's a lot that can be uh, learned from those guys and it would save you a ton of money, not having to bring on all that extra cost at the same time. I saw, I saw just many companies bloated like that, just having all these extra experts and specialists, like you be the oil company, you be the driller, you be the fracker and everybody lean on each other, push each other hard to be better. You know what I mean? Not, you don't have to be the expert at this. You don't have to be, I mean, you don't have to be expert at everything. It's good to know everything, but just really lean on each other, lean on people's expertise, you know? 
So that kind of is going around to kind of something that uh, that we're seeing a lot lately and something that I'm kind of uh, promoting, which is a, the point of why we're doing this podcast and the point why you and I, you know, we, we've had our daughters play Uno before on, uh, on, uh, on FaceTime um, is the importance of, you know, you're talking about leaning on people's expertise. But to me, that translates to relationships. Sure. That translates Absolutely. to communication, relationships, having trust in someone else to to uh, to do what they say they're going to do, and to have your best interest at, uh, at at heart. Absolutely, and 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 Cody and I, when we when we look to bring people onto a team, it's not like it's yeah, we look for his uh, the, a person's skills, right? But it's really like, is he a fit, right? Is is that that relationship going to be that? Does that person work? And I I think it goes back again to like the eighties. You know, I remember my dad, like I said, he, they, they partnered up with people having the right to find the right people, the right relations. Who can you trust, you know, in, in the tough times, who, who's going to help each other out? And I, I think you're absolutely right. Having a good relationship with people and having that trust there uh, is going to be paramount more than ever. You know what I mean? Especially, especially people are going to be questioning every single move nowadays, right? Oh, yeah. They'll so, be going through everything with a, with a red pen right now. Exactly. So, exactly. So with, with, with all this... Uh, this this dumpster fire going on around us. What 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 kind of opportunities or uh, do you see kind of emerging um, from um, I guess in the next hopeful the next wave of uh, the oil and gas industry? Well, for us, uh, for us, I think Iron Orchard because of the way what we're set up, I think the opportunities are going to be to get in on some of these older mature fields um, for dirt cheap. Um, because I mean, a lot of these big, again, it goes back to these big, big companies that have lots of overhead. They can't afford to operate a well that makes a barrel, three barrels, five barrels a day, right? They just, they just can't support it. So they're gonna have to get rid of some of that stuff so that they can manage their, their, um, their bigger budget items, like bigger horizontal wells and stuff like that. So for us, that's gonna, it's gonna be picking up assets like that, the small stuff that we can operate dirt cheap. Um, and also, uh, you know, contract operating. Uh, I see that a lot of that coming on because unfortunately, even, you know, the big, big public companies are bloated too, but there's also, you know, private equity companies that have a lot of top heavy management, you know, we, we worked at one and, you know, we had a lot of, lot of exp- expensive management and these, uh, a lot of these private equity companies just can't manage that. So we'd like to come in and try to help those guys out. And if we can, we through contract management, get their costs down until they can figure out what they want to do with their assets and, uh, and, and go from there. Um, for us, that seems to be some good opportunities, but I think, I think you're going to see a lot of, uh, a lot of banks bringing stuff to sale here in the next, uh, couple quarters um there's going to be a lot of acquisitions going on i think and mostly going to be driven by um debtors and bankers and uh and stuff like that i agree i think it's gonna be a smaller tighter oil field i mean it's gonna be less people it's gonna be uh as you said less top heavy management it's gonna be uh it's uh, a lot of people wearing different hats i think that's gonna be uh and i'm hoping out there maybe the timing's right maybe the timing's right like we're not sexy anymore right i mean oil and gas is not sexy. We used to be a huge component of the S and P. Okay. Now we're 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 barely a blip now, right? I mean, um, people just don't want to invest a whole lot of money in oil and gas anymore. Um, you know, we we destroy capital like nobody's business. Um, don't get me wrong; we have some really good returns at times, but but we're good at destroying. We're really good at destroying capital. We're really good at. Yeah, it, right? I mean, we can we can take <laughs> your money and eat it up fast. Don't get me wrong; I mean, most of the time you're going to get a return, and it, it, but at the same time, we will destroy capital pretty quickly. So I think people are turning to tech. Um, you know, I, uh, you know, people going green and a lot of things, and I still think the, I don't know if those are really. Um, great investments to date yet but i think that i think the technology is working its way towards it. i think battery technology is going to be huge in the future i'm not a huge fan of elon musk but at the same time 
I, I got to give credit to his uh, where he's taking the technology to. So and I think I think from there it's only going to get better and better. And I think oil is still going to have a huge. It, it, it always will have a huge part to play in the world. I mean, especially we were such a, such a bubble here in the United States and Canada, right? I mean. We, we're still thinking, oh, we're the only ones using oil. I mean, you've got these other countries like India and China, and these guys are barely coming out of their industrial revolutions, right? I mean, right. they're just, they're coming online. I mean, set aside the fact the whole world's underneath COVID-19 right now and that Russia and Saudi are playing this uh, game of chicken. But to set that aside, I mean, these companies, these countries are still in full steam ahead. So uh, oil's always going to have a place. I mean, everybody has plastic. Everybody likes to drive. Uh, I mean, all the natural, all the natural gas fired power plants. I mean, it's always going to have a huge, huge place in our lives. Now, I just think you said, like you said, it's going to be a tighter oil field. I think it's going to be less people. And the good thing about the oil field is I think it generates, we are extremely technically knowledge people. I mean, we have, we have incredible technical skills. I, I, there's no reason why a petroleum engineer or anybody working in the oil industry couldn't switch industries like that. I, I really couldn't think of another engineer or, or type of person uh, who worked in the oil industry that couldn't just flip into another, uh, into another um, industry altogether. Well, I mean, coming from your side, so I've been in sales for the past eight years. I mean, same thing over here. I mean, I feel right. like the Houston oil field or, or any, or the oil field is one of the toughest markets to sell in. I mean, that's from my experience, from my knowledge, from people I've talked to. Right. That being said, I mean, um, if uh, unfortunately should something happen, I mean, take what you know, take your strengths, right. which is building relationships, which is technical knowledge. And think about how you can transfer that if things get that bad to another industry or maybe an industry that you're, you're kind of interested about pursuing that might be a passion for you. Right. Exactly. I mean, I can't think of another industry that we're like, you know, just take an engineer or any, or any facet of it that is actually, I mean, it doesn't like take Cody and I, you got to, you got to know how to, you got to manage, you got to be able to manage your books. You got to be an accountant. You got to be, uh, you got to be able to be a field guy. You got to be an engineer. You got, you got to wear so many different hats. And I think you can, I think you could really transplant a lot of oil field people into any industry and just take, like you said, take what you know and you can apply it anywhere. Um, I, I really think that's, and I, I don't think people should be too scared of, of, of that big change. Um, if, if, you know, if you're willing to put in the work. Right. I agree. Um, well, that's, that's a good insight, Mike. I appreciate that. And just kind of wrapping it up right now, do you have any messages to the audience you'd like to communicate uh, to, to the listeners, to the, to the dozen of listeners that we might have? Man, um, I guess just uh, to my old field family, you know, it's, it's just time to hunker down as a team, um, you know, as a community. This isn't the first slowdown. Damn well won't be the last, um, but it's, it's going to be different this time. And, and to those that can partner up, like we talked about, um, again, off each, play off each other's strengths, not off each other's weaknesses and, uh, come out of these difficult times enough. We should have enough to feed our families, you know, put our kids through school, live wonderful lives and, uh, be full of, uh, gratefulness and have, uh, fond memories. You know, I, I still think, I, I think it's going to be a little bit more difficult this time, but it's, that's not to say it's going to be bad. You know what I mean? Um, right. I still, I still think the, like the oil field is one of the most dynamic places, uh, industries in the world that nowhere else could does blue collar, white collar work so closely together where, you know, I use the word diversity, but I'm not using it in the political correctness sense. I mean, diversity <laughs> of meaning man, woman, uh, any kind of race, any from any country in the world, they all just come together to get a job done. I've never seen it in any other country than like the old patch. Um, it's, it just brings a special type of person together. And I think uh, if people can just endure and really work together and not, and uh, you know, just just really try to help each other out. I think uh, I think I think we can come out of this thing. OK, amen. I agree with that. Well, again, everyone, this is Mike Tesseri, uh, Chief Operating Officer of Iron Orchard. And thank you for ha uh, coming on the show. We appreciate that. No, I appreciate it, JP. Thanks for having me on. All right. We'll talk to you in a little bit, man. All right, bud. Take Bye. Care.